there, SATA College online and SATA Talk podcast listeners. This is Lydia, your host of SATA Talk, coming to you again with another SATA Talk politics episode. And we're talking to a high school friend of mine who I'm so happy to see doing amazing in his life. He's Senator Julian Sear for the Cape and Islands District of Massachusetts. Say hi, Julian. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you coming on the pod and talking to our listeners a little bit about what you do. So just to kind of set the scene of, you know, Massachusetts and where we're coming from, my first question has to do with history. And I would like to know if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the history of Massachusetts, the Boston Tea Party, the War of Independence against the British is something we're super famous about. What's the political legacy or influence that these events have had on Boston and Massachusetts as a whole? So the American Revolution and really the American Democratic experience, the experiment starts in Massachusetts and, and it starts in Boston. Um, so part of that is, is the Boston Tea Party, right? Which is about, which is all about uh, self-representation, right? The Boston Tea Party is a protest uh, against taxation without representation. Um, and uh, whether it, it be the Boston Tea Party or uh, you know the, the 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 War of Independence, which which started in, in Massachusetts, Lexington and Concord are, are two two towns in Massachusetts where where, where the war the revolution started. Um, all of that is about self independence, and actually Massachusetts has um, a, a pretty strong history of uh, self governance. So that actually starts even long before the revolution uh, with the uh, the Mayflower uh, and the Mayflower Pilgrims, which uh, occurs in 1620. These are uh, religious separatists who leave uh, leave England and uh, travel to the New World. They were trying to reach Virginia, but they ended up in Massachusetts. They actually ended up right here in Cape Cod, where, where Lydia and I are both from. Um, that was really about uh, the ability to, to practice their own religion. Uh, that continues around uh, self-governance and democracy. We have a, a legislature, a legislative body in Massachusetts uh, in the 1600s. The, the legislature that I serve in in Massachusetts is actually the um, longest continually serving legislative body in the world, in part because um, the Brits had had several several civil wars. Uh, so, so we got to um, we, we have that designation as the longest serving uh, entity. But um, the revolution and that history and uh, the history of, of self governance uh, and democratic um, and representative democracy. Uh, Massachusetts is uh, really one of the, the founding places of that, not only for the American experience, uh, but really for the whole world. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's great that you mentioned that the Pilgrims landed in Cape Cod, where we're from, because a lot of times you hear, oh, the Pilgrims landed in Plymouth, but we know different. <laughs> we, the Pilgrims landed in Provincetown. Yeah. The very tip of Cape Cod. The very tip they of Cape Cod. They stayed here for six weeks. Uh, and then they, they found it uh, was a, a little bit too inhospitable. Cape Cod's a peninsula, the tip of a peninsula that's six, uh, 30 miles out in the Atlantic Ocean. So it's uh, <laughs> it definitely was pretty cold. The, the indigenous people, the Wampanoag people, um, who had lived here for, for hundreds of years prior to European contact, uh, they actually didn't have a permanent settlement in Provincetown either because it was so... Uh, so 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 windy and remote. Yeah, so you know when the indigenous people don't want to live there, it's probably not a great idea. <laughs> but <laughs> but people did. Hey, we live there now. Exactly, people did, and people made it their home. So when we look at you know the legacy that we get in Massachusetts of independence and protest and doing things our own way, we still have that today, don't we? We do things differently in Massachusetts. We we do. Uh, 
certainly we have a pretty robust uh, ro robust electorate, a, a democratic process. Um, Massachusetts is actually the state whose constituents um, voted most for, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the November election, uh, and, and the least percentage for uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence. Um, so this is a place that, that very much uh, values uh, participation. We have some of the higher higher turnout percentages of any state in the country that's, as well when it comes to voting. That's a really interesting point because a lot of our listeners might come from countries, some of the countries where people are, it's mandatory to vote, you know, and you have to pay a fine if you don't vote. In our country, it's not mandatory, um, but we always are out there trying to get more people involved with the political process. I was recently talking to Stephanie Houghton, who's an organizer for Elizabeth Warren, and she was talking about that, you know, voter engagement thing, which is huge. So Julian, you're a senator. What does that mean to be a senator for Massachusetts? What are your duties and responsibilities? So I'm a state senator, meaning that I uh, am one of 40 members of the state Senate, uh, which is part of the two houses, our, our bicameral legislature that we have at the state level. So I represent about 180,000 constituents who live in uh, 20, 20 municipalities across Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket. Uh, and it's my job to represent the region uh, with uh, my 39 other colleagues. We also have a, a, a lower chamber. The Senate is the upper chamber. Uh, we have a lower chamber, a House of Representatives, uh, that has 160 members. And you may um, notice that the way that our state legislature is set up in Massachusetts sounds, a, sounds an awful lot like how the U.S. Congress yes, is set up. Yes, in, in and Washington, D.C. Because um, the Massachusetts Constitution, which was drafted primarily by uh, a gentleman named John Adams, our second president, and, and several other founding uh, founding fathers, um, they used the Massachusetts Constitution as the basis for the United States Constitution. And so that's why Article One uh, in the U.S. Constitution, which establishes the Congress and the powers of the Congress, uh, looks an awful lot like how um, the Constitution and how the legislature is structured here in Massachusetts. So that's really cool. So if you learn how Massachusetts functions, you can really understand a lot better how the country functions then the, the, at the federal level. Yes, with, 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 with obviously some, some exceptions yes. and some difference. Certainly, we don't have an electoral college mm -hmm. uh, here in Massachusetts as a way to elect our, our governor. Um, we, we have a, a popular vote there. Um, but um, broadly, studying Massachusetts government uh, is is a, a, a good, it, it does mirror the federal system in a lot of ways. That's great that you mentioned the Electoral College because I just did another pod about that to introducing our lis listeners to that system. Um, and I told them it's it's not the place you learn to become an elector. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a... <laughs> I actually have, Lydia, I have several friends who were electors. So really? We just had, we That's just so had, interesting. The Electoral College just met yes. um, on uh, just the day before we were recording this. Yeah, so... It's it's very. And for the record, I think the electoral college makes no sense, and we need to get rid of it. But well, that was <laughs> that was what the enslavement, <laughs> and, and we can go into that another time. Yeah, well, that was a little bit what myself and my friend Sean, who's who's also from the states, we both you know do this work for SETA hosting the pod sometimes, we were both kind of delving into the system to explain to our listeners a little bit more what it meant because, I mean, the world was following our election and people don't understand why there's a popular vote and there's this electoral college thing and, you know, how does that how does that pan out? Like, how does that work? So we tried to explain it to the best of our abilities and it is quite a complex system, isn't it? 
So let's yeah. put that aside for a moment because you're right. We could do a whole pot of, about that. Um, and you touched on my next question a little bit. The differences between being a, a state senator and a, a congressional senator in D.C. Um, if you had to say like what the you know in one sentence what the biggest difference is, what do you think? Well, if you're a United States senator, you have a, a heck of a lot more power and influence uh, than, than than I certainly do. Um, and you represent more people. Yes. Uh, you know, in, 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 in Massachusetts, we have about just under 7 million people in the state. We have two United States senators, Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, um, both of who are, are, are Democrats. Um, and, and, and in the Senate, they, you know, each state has two senators, as, as your um, listeners may know. Yes. Uh, the difference here is I, I have a much, um, I'm much sort of closer to the ground. I, I, I interact a lot with, uh, constituents on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, and what I mean constituents, constituents meaning people who live in the district that I represent. I work with uh, the 20 municipalities that I represent, um, and really when you're a legislator, uh, you really do um, you, you really do a lot of different things. So you you are very much of what we would call a generalist. So you file legislation. Uh, and, and that legislation can be on, on any topic that you want it to be. Those bills go through a process. Uh, there, there, are, there are committees that hear the bills that have expertise on a various topic. Um, there are several committees that a bill has to move through before it's taken up on the floor of the, of, of the Massachusetts Senate. Uh, it also has to be taken up on, on the floor of the Massachusetts House of Representatives. Uh, the bill then, it, once, it, once, once the bill passes both chambers, it's then sent to the governor uh, for uh, the governor's approval. Um, but also, you are very much of a problem solver. Right now, as we're in the midst, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I'm doing a lot of work convening and bringing together um, municipal government, our, our public health officials, uh, the hospital system and, and healthcare centers, uh, our business community, uh, and, and really trying to respond and make sure that Cape Cod can come through the pandemic, um, you know, both saving lives and saving livelihoods, uh, and also make sure that we're able to have some resiliency and to bounce back once the pandemic's over. Um, so I, in my role as a senator, I both file legislation, I advocate for that legislation, um, and then I, I really serve as a problem solver for my constituency. So I, it seems to me like somebody who works on the state level has a lot more contact with their community than maybe somebody who goes to D.C. is an, a little bit more removed. Yes. If, if you're a United States senator, you are a quite famous person, right? If you are Elizabeth Warren, mm. um, many, many people, millions of people know your name. You're on, on cable television. Uh, you are uh, quite a national figure. Um, very few people uh, know who their state senator is, or at least could recognize their state senator, which is uh, a good thing for me. I, I'm yeah, I was going to, you might be a little more famous after this, though, internationally. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you I that guy it. I heard on the podcast explaining about what it is to be a senator? Yes, that's, that's him. That's Julian Sear. <laughs> Thank you so much. So moving on, I guess, um, one of the ways that your role is described as is as the assistant Democratic majority whip on the Massachusetts State Senate website. What's a whip? So a whip is uh, someone who's a member of leadership, meaning 
um, the senior most uh, senators in the Senate who decide what the Senate is going to do. So all 40 senators, we elect a Senate president, and that Senate president uh, has the power to appoint senators to committee. She decides, our Senate president decides what committees people are going to serve on, and then she has a leadership team. And what a whip does is a whip gets the sense of the body, uh, and the whip helps count votes uh, when we debate uh, controversial legislation. Okay, so, there's, so there's really two kinds of legislation we take up. There, there's very routine legislation that essentially just sort of goes through a process, and then there's more uh, controversial legislation. We recently took up police reform legislation that mm -hmm. uh, both the Senate and the House in Massachusetts passed uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd and this latest iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, and so the whip's job is to get a sense of where members are and to count votes when it comes to uh, particularly certain amendments that are filed to legislation that we have to debate. So you would almost take the temperature to see, I, you know, how exactly. how willing people are to actually vote for this. Yes. Have you? If, if your listeners have ever watched the American series House of Cards, um, the main character starts off as a whip in the U.S. House of Representatives. So, so I have that job. Albeit, I'm, I'm far less evil and nefarious. <laughs> I don't think you. I don't think you're evil and nefarious at all. <laughs> but that's. I didn't bring up that character just because of that. <laughs> but it's a good reference. It is what, really. What that person does. It's a very good reference because that's how I understood it. To be perfectly honest with you, when I first started watching that series, it's kind of you're taking the temperature and seeing, you know, how willing people are to actually do this. Is it worth it or not? And you know how far it's going to go. So say, all right, this is like off topic a little bit, but you know how in Massachusetts we have laws that you can't sell alcohol on Sundays? Yes, we used to have those oh, laws. Oh, they changed since it. since you've left Massachusetts, we've changed those laws. Oh, okay. But, but so... there, are, there are restrictions, and they're actually called blue laws. Yes. And they actually date back to the colonial period uh, when uh, the state... Um, when Puritans ran the state, Puritans are sort of a, a religious movement of people who were very, um, very the, sort the of Mayflower. And Sundays, the, the Mayflower yeah, exactly. people. Back to the Mayflower, and, and Sundays were considered a, a holy day and, and, and a day that um, you weren't supposed to be uh, purchasing or imbibing in liquor. Uh, or going to taverns. Laws, fortunately, <laughs> things, things have changed a little bit. I'm glad you changed that one. Yeah, because that whole don't go to taverns or buy liquor on Sundays, I don't know that it really made that much of a difference. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, people just mop more on Saturday. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, um, increasingly uh, the weekend has become sort of, for many people, not all people, but many people sort of off day, right? So yeah, it's a it's release. Less, uh, a, a religious day and, and more of a, um, you know, day to do chores or socialize or to shop. Um, but for many people, uh, and particularly for a number of my constituents, uh, Cape Cod is a very, a place that's really reliant on tourism, especially in the summer months. So most people, most of my constituents are working on a Sunday. Uh, because, you know, they, it's a seasonal economy. So particularly in summer months, we work really, really hard and you work most days of the week. And people who come to enjoy, you know, a seasonal uh, holiday destination want to have a drink maybe on a Sunday and, and celebrate their religion too. Why not? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> We're open to it all on Cape Cod. 
Um, so thinking about the types of things that you do, if we're talking about soft skills or people skills, you know, not, not those hard skills that everybody talks about, like knowing different computer programs, but like soft skills that prepare people for the workplace. I see a lot of what you do as overlapping with a lot of different jobs in society where you interact with people a lot and you need to build relationships. So what are the key soft skills you would say somebody needs in, in your type of role? Yes, or, or, or what we would call in sort of American parlance, um, social emotional skills, yes. right? So, so not just what are technical skills, but soft skills or social emotional skills. Um, I think you got to be a really good listener uh, to be an effective leader and, and an effective legislator. Uh, I think people increasingly in this very globalized world where people feel that they, they don't really have much power, um, that listening is one of the most uh, important things that, that someone who is in a powerful position can do. Um, and I also, you know, if I look at the skills that I use on a daily basis, um, it's not sort of the fancy education or college education that I have or that level of training. Uh, it's actually the skills that I've developed from, you know, 14, 15 summers of waiting on tables on Cape Cod, right? Knowing how to deal with all sorts of people, whether it be people who are really nice and friendly and happy and, and glad to be uh, with you to people who are, um, we would say, curmudgeons uh, <laughs> or irritated or difficult people. Uh, and, and you learn those skills when you're waiting on tables and they're skills I use every single day uh, in my job as a state senator. I think working in restaurants in the summer was probably the best training I ever got too. Because you, you start Absolutely. to understand some people are just having a bad day. And it's not about you. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's very good. So that's the difference one... now is when you know when, when I was a waiter, um, you know, you you if someone was being really mean, you could say, "All right, just leave the restaurant, get out, you can kick them out." It's uh, h harder to do that. When no, you can't kick them out of the restaurant when you're their senator. Nope. <laughs> you have to try to understand where they're coming from, and I bet you do that pretty well. Um, so I guess our last, but definitely not our least important question would be, when did you know that you wanted to be in politics and what made you pursue such a challenging career? So I was always someone who was very interested in and drawn to public service, to helping others. Um, I first really saw that as someone who was an advocate. Uh, I worked as a, a, an organizer. I know you spoke to Stephanie uh, Houghton, who's another peer of ours. Um, Stephanie uh, is, is an organizer, and I had those rules. I always saw myself as a behind-the-scenes person, as someone who uh, was a staffer. I, I worked for um, our, our commissioner of public health in Massachusetts for a long time. Um, but I realized that, uh, particularly for, for Cape Cod and the islands, and Cape Cod's a very special, unique place, a very special place where, where Lydia and I were, were fortunate to grow up. Um, Cape Cod is increasingly become very unaffordable. Uh, it's There's a lot of um, people want second homes and third homes, vacation homes here. And so with rising property values and its geographic isolation, uh, it's harder and harder for people to make a life here. And I really came to realize that if, you know, if I didn't step up and if our generation sort of doesn't step up and, and be a part of the civic life on Cape Cod, that this place isn't gonna have much of a future. And so when uh, the state Senate op seat opened up, my predecessor didn't run for reelection. Um, I was actually planning to, to, I was supposed to be applying to graduate school. I was taking 
uh, what's called the, the GMAT test. It's a, a test you take to get into business school in the United States. Um, and I, I was not a very diligent uh, studier for that test. Uh, and I figured out, I said, hey, what the heck, I'm going to run for state senate. Um, there's no way I'm going to win. You know, when I, when I was running at the time, um, I, was, uh, I was 30 years old. I was from the smallest town in Cape Cod. Um, I'm openly LGBTQ. I'm openly queer. So I'm, I'm, I'm not probably not supposed to be the person to represent the region. That, so the biggest town on Cape Cod probably should be where that person's from. Um, but uh, with some hard work and, and mostly a lot of luck and being in the right place at the right time, um, I was elected in, in 2016 uh, to the Senate and um, have been serving since. We have elections every two years. So I just was reelected uh, for the for third time this past November, uh, and I'll be in the ballot. I'll be on the ballot again in 2022. That's great. So you obviously found your niche, maybe not realizing that's what it was right away, but it's still in the same kind of area, you know, of public service. And what I remember from school is you having a stellar reputation. So I'm not surprised. I don't think a lot of people were surprised what happened because you're just such a wonderful, likable person. And I think when you were talking about those social emotional skills and thank you for schooling me on that new term, uh, (laughs) we're still saying soft skills over here. And I always thought that was kind of strange because they're very important and it makes it sound weak. Um, but yeah, exactly. So I sort of feminizes yeah. it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and, and what we learn more as we're going into this stuff is actually the soft, those soft skills, those social emotional skills are leaps and bounds so much more valuable and important than, um, than technical skills. Massive, you know, and it's kind of like, I always think about this Maya Angelou quote, and I know it's overquoted all the time, but it's so true because I say this to my students all the time. You know, they worry about whether they sound perfect in English, but they're an advanced level learner. They're in business English. You're doing amazing. And I always say to them, listen, you're always going to sound like you. You don't need to sound like a native speaker. You don't need to be perfect. It's about those connections that you make with people because people will forget the things you do, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. Absolutely. And I think that um, how you make people feel and how you go about doing your work uh, and, and, and how you go about being in the world is, is so very important, right? And when you're a legislator, you can get nothing done by yourself, right? I have to get 39 other senators to agree with me to pass a bill, and I have to get 160 other people in the lower court chamber to agree to that bill too. And so, you know, the more that I'm in this work, I really have an appreciation that um, I get nothing done on my own, and that you're really reliant on and you really depend on, um, you know, one another to, to make change and, and to pass legislation and to do good in the world. Yeah, negotiation, compromising, listening to people and giving a little bit, right? And sometimes when we get staunchly in our own corners, we can forget those things in any situation in life. Well, Julian, thank you so much for your time. And I really think- Thank our... you for having me. I love this. I think our listeners- And your students are so lucky to have you. And I oh. love that you're doing all this podcast work and um, you know, encourage people, if, if you make it to, to, to the States, please come and visit Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. Uh, it is a very beautiful- special unique place and i think all of our listeners around the world would greatly enjoy it because guys we get a real summer not like dublin (laughs) okay (laughs) that's one of the biggest things people don't like about ireland is the weather but you know what that's the only drawback because the people are great 
So thank you so much, Julian, again, and we'll say goodbye to you and uh, to all our listeners. Take your time to check out SetaCollegeOnline.com and all the great courses we have to help teach you all kinds of different things in English. And this Seda Talk podcast coming to you from Spotify is here. You can check other episodes we've done. We appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful day and peace out.